All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And if you see him on the court at your local Lifetime Fitness, don't you dare drive down the paint because he is the all-American rejector. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I thought I told you a million times. I, I don't have an inside game. No, 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 but defense, I'm, defense. I'm, I'm the Lamar Odom <laughs> of gym fitness places. I, I work the perimeter, get a little bit of a mid-range game. Nice rebounder. But you don't want to feed me in the low post. I don't really know what I'm doing. Listen. Speaking of the low post. Yeah. I told you on text. Yeah. And now that we're on wax, I'm doing it now. <laughs> I am taking the first opportunity I have to jump on and drive and wear the engineer cap on the Paolo Banchero train. I was just thinking, too, am I allowed to, am I allowed to uh, trademark Huevos Bancheros. Ooh, ooh. Coming to a greasy spoon in Durham, North Carolina. Soon. I'm just saying <laughs> it's good. Even though, even though he is he is Italian, yeah, yeah. not Spanish. Yeah. So it is a little bit Power. but oh man. I loved watching uh watching him play. And of course, I've been on YouTube checking out where this came from and seeing his progression. I'm all in. This is a a functional 611 uh inside out big man looks comfortable already and then this Chet Holmgren mm. Gonzaga putting up these strange white Kevin Durant type numbers <laughs> and and uh you know Bates over there in Come Memphis right. throwing up those threes it's going to be a fun draft next year and uh I think we have some um at least I don't know about Bates yet but I'm like I'm already like all in on <laughs> Bancheros and Holmgren. Yeah. I think those two are uh, legit, legit big time players. Not to mention, uh, we have over coming over from Europe, another Jokic, Jovic Jokic. Is he one of the ones on Twitter this week? No, 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 no. He's he's not out here uh, trying to get flack from the Morris brothers. That was crazy. <laughs> I that's that's you know like some of those fights like you see brewing sometimes you're like oh my god I don't even want to watch this this is gonna be bad that's a that's a fight I don't want to see two giant Jokic's fight two giant Morris's that's some Game of Thrones shit there well so I've seen the brother behind the bench and just chilling there and it listen I think it gets overblown because they're like Eastern European. He's just like an AAU brother. He's just a hype man. I don't think it's going to be some John Wick shit if this stuff goes down. I don't think they're that hard. No. I'm no, putting that on wax. Been... I don't think they're that hard. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Here they come for you now. See, what you forget about John Wick is, is you'll get black bagged and no one will know it, you know? That's true. Hey, man. I, you know, listen, I, I heard a lot of the reaction this week to this Jokic thing, and to me... I was like, it's fucking Markeith Morris. He's done like he's done like 30 things a season to deserve getting laid out. You know, like he took a cheap shot on him, turned his back all nonchalantly, and he got fucking wrecked. Like Jokic deserves the game he got, but I think people are overblowing it. Protected himself against someone who has a track record. And uh and now it's over after a game. I don't think this is such a big deal, you know? Well, you know what is a huge deal, Benny? What? This day in music history. Let's get to it. <gasps> well, 
Uh, I'm going fairly contemporary because it was an interesting one today. Mm. On this day in 2016, Kate McKinnon sings Hallelujah mm. in character as Hillary Clinton to open Saturday Night Live. And this is one of those strange ones because it's like the mold between, you know, SNL kind of played like a strangely defining role in the election and the election cycle, like, you know, with the backlash of letting Trump on, letting Trump host Alec Baldwin's impression, Kate McKinnon's impression. And you have to wonder in pop culture to a point, like, was Kate McKinnon's impression helpful, harmful? Was Trump being on helpful, harmful? Mm. There is like a whole other layer to to a comedy show when it came to Saturday Night Live. And then if you watched Kate McKinnon's like final hallelujah performance, even though she was still playing it tongue in cheek, like there was like some real like actual like sadness to it. And she, uh, you know, said that that line at the end. And, you know, I, it, it begs the question to me sometimes. I think comedians and entertainers think that they're always helping by doing satire like like we're telling the story in a different way and sometimes are you trivializing or humorizing things that are super serious with people's lives at stake and it actually like cheapens it i don't know but i think there's like something to be said for that and watching this play out in real time was one of those things for me but also this was interesting because Leonard Cohen, you know, writer uh, and singer of Hallelujah, he only died four days prior to this performance. So he died November 7th of 16. So it was a little bit of a tip of the cap to him as well. I wonder what Leonard Cohen would think about the last last few years. You know, he's one of those people. I, I wish I could have one more one more smoke and a tea with and kind of just see where his head's at. Even though if anyone's interested, his last record <clears throat> is basically that dude, like telling you everything he feels. It's really awesome. That is going to be the name of our spinoff podcast. What would Leonard Cohen think of this? And then we just oh, do the tune up to Leonard. Cohen. I like that. That's a barometer <laughs> to live by right there. Oh man. That was crazy. By the way, SNL's got a new guy doing Trump because of all, I guess, after all the Alec Baldwin shit. Like, it's so they got a new guy. His name is uh, James Austin Johnson, I believe. It's scary. It's scary. uh, On Trump? Oh, my God. It's like, it it may be the most on point one they've had since Dana Carvey. Not even joking. Like, even even better than Farrell doing W. Maybe we'll have a Dave Kevin Klein situation coming up. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, Benny, on this day in 1987, Sly Stone arrives one hour late for a major comeback concert in Santa Monica, California, only to be arrested at the gig for failure to pay child support. <laughs> oh, man. What a crazy thing. Sly. This, and I, I bring this up because we recently had New Jersey's own Fetty Wap get arrested at Rolling Loud. Have you <laughs> ever been at a festival or anything where the feds just come in heavy and somebody gets taken out. Cause that has to be a while to just sit back and be like, I can't believe like this is like succession. It's unbelievable. I wonder though, like who, 
you know, it, like you said, in both of these cases, it's kind of a strange place to come prosecute somebody. So you have to wonder if this was some kind of, you know, insider tip, like Ooh. somebody was mad at somebody and, and let them know, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Something's going on. <laughs> Cops aren't that good. By the way, that was a that was a you've been doing interviews a long time. That that, that was a great blow by. That was a great blow by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're going to keep it in the tragic music vein today. Sad boy energy all the way. Benny, we had some we had a big story this past week in the week of music at a Travis Scott show this past week. Eight people ranging from the ages of 14 to 27 died amid a crowd surge during a headline performance at his Astroworld Festival in Houston. Local authorities are investigating the crowd surge, uh, the adequacy of security efforts, along with scenarios including a potential role of counterfeit pills laced with fentanyl, uh, people going through the crowd with needles, poking people. Uh, just unbelievable. Medical examiners have yet to provide a cause of death for the eight people. But, Ben, you have uh, experience being in a band, putting on shows, putting on safe shows that everybody feels welcome and warm. I just want to open it up to you like this. How does something like this happen, and how does it get this out of hand? I mean, obviously, this is like, this is a huge thing, you know? And um, I don't know that much about it. I certainly don't want to talk about any of the weird, like, conspiracy stuff that's being talked about. I have no idea. No, the eight fucking people were at a concert and they died. That is just like the simple fact of it. And uh, the surges and, you know, these instances have done it before. So, like, I don't want to go into who's to blame and how to blame them and how to prosecute and all that. That's just like out of my wheelhouse. And I don't know. I do think people like Travis Scott need to be more weary and on top of their own businesses because like it or not, you know, you might not have made the decisions that made this play out like that, but you employed the people to make the decisions to play out like that. It was your idea, your people, you're on top of it. It's your business, which does hold you accountable. And I don't want to, totally separate him from the thing that happened. Um, but I also don't think like the inciting and all that is what caused it. I want to think on a bigger picture here, which is like, you know, the things that would actually uh, physiologically help this situation, they actually have figured out. There's different ways, you know, to let people into a a, a giant festival like this. There's different ways to corral people in different sections. Instead of those very open uh, front parts, you have the split. You've probably seen it at a lot of festivals. That is particularly for this exact reason. That's why the crowd is split into two with that thing in the middle and there's all these gaps is to prevent X amount of people from being in one place. But I've been to festivals like all over the world and all over Europe and the level of uh, oversight on these things is so drastically different from country to country, city to city and place to place that I think we need to think on a larger scale about real uh, study and legislation that's actually uh, enacted and carried out 
to ensure these things don't happen. That's like literally the only way. You can't keep trusting uh, giant production companies, and particularly now where everybody in the world is understaffed with people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's not like at Astro World Festival, you have a thousand, you know, black ops security people who know exactly how to wrangle and like seriously most of the people who do security at these festivals are given a job and thrown a fucking yellow t-shirt like five minutes before they get there and told to like yeah just go stand over there and like do this they, they have no idea how to do any of this stuff so the things that need to actually happen are really pinpointing uh what is the maximum amount of people allowed in one of these sections? What's the framework of the actual, you know, barriers and boundaries that we need to do to implement that and implement it at every fucking show universally. And that is like the only way to solve this type of thing, or it's just going to keep happening. Um, sadly, what I'm saying is, you know, uh the the backlash of this you can see globally because what i'm talking about is some degree of socialism i'm talking about taking an idea and making sure people are doing it everywhere for the safety of others that's not really the way we work so i think a bunch of people are going to get fucking sued a bunch of people are going to get paid and uh i don't know not a lot's going to change I mean, this country has proven that in corporate America, it can work socialistically when there's a lot of money at play. I mean, just look at the NFL. But, you know, the interesting thing that I think has been happening, uh, you know, with people doing uh, like going to concerts and stuff like that. I feel like there has been a rise since people have gotten out of lockdown of, you know, because like mosh pits are like one thing. It's, it's, it's like it's aggressive. It's not violent. There's been an in I mean. When, when you got people fighting at Foo Fighters concerts and, like, Harry Styles shows, like, you know there's something up with people's brains post-lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th that's what I was saying before. Like, this this also, it, it's something that's impossible for someone like you or I to pinpoint because we're just people living inside of the fucking melee. Uh, but it really does seem like we are less capable of handling ourselves in the situations we have. And that is from the participant to the organizer. Yeah. Expertly done there. All right, let's have some fun now. Let's have some fun. Now. We got the business out of the way. We got the Ugh. doom and gloom on this. Uh, wait, oh. wait, we're not doing Rittenhouse now? Rittenhouse? Oh, hey. No? <laughs> You have a good 30 minutes on that. The floor is yours, sir. The floor I already did Trump. <laughs> Eight people dying at a festival. Let's just go Rittenhouse for the next 20 minutes. I got a lot of fun things to say about that. Dude, that's so crazy. Dude, yeah, I... no, no, no. Don't do it. Get me out of it. Get me out. Go to the Knicks. Go to the Knicks, please. Benny, let's go to Hollywood for this next headline. And the double deuce. Speaking of violent places, I need a... Hey, maybe we just need to bring Patrick Swayze back to pol pol police these ah, festivals. Anyway, the double deuce may finally be reopening its doors. That's right. Sources tell Deadline that MGM's Roadhouse remake is gaining momentum. That's right. The Patrick Swayze picture. Maybe rebooted? Who knows? Let's keep going. Um, the reboot has Jay Gyllenhaal starring in the picture. Doug Lyman of the Bourne trilogy famously got his start producing Swingers. 
in talks to direct the picture. While a date for production is still TBD, uh, Hall is about to shoot uh, Guy Ritchie's next picture, and D Doug Lyman is currently preparing his next picture called Everest. You know, there's been a bunch of drafts floating around about a Roadhouse reboot for a while, but this seems to be, you know, once you got the director, once you got your bankable star, uh, things tend to happen pretty quickly. So, Benny, Roadhouse reboot, what do you think? Well, this is very sacred territory to me. As anyone who's known me a long time knows I had, sadly, because he's no longer with us, an unhealthy infatuation with Patrick Swayze and his films, Roadhouse being a big one of them. It's at like the height, you know, you may have learned from this show. I, I love tongue-in-cheek comedy. I love dark things that could never happen. It's why I'm such a big fan of things like Anchorman and things like Roadhouse because it's fantasy. It's like it's like Shaft. It it needs to be acted out and played 100% seriously to be as hilarious as it is. And Roadhouse is like the king of that movie. But I've sent this to my good friend who is a movie buff and someone who knows I love Patrick Swayze. I say, "How are we feeling about this?" He goes, sacrilege, unnecessary, unrequested. You know, <laughs> people are mad. They don't want this. And, you know, he, he read me a, a quote from a book, Pain Don't Hurt, Meditations on Roadhouse. <laughs> and the quote in it is, Roadhouse is the story of one bouncer's quest to free a small town from the iron fist of the guy who was on the verge of opening the area's first jc penny over half a dozen men will die for this <laughs> so this is why i need this movie to be remade like you don't want to be a fundamentalist for silly things you know what i mean you want to let the next generation have silly things and i'm not like we're not talking about citizen kane here <laughs> if you want to give roadhouse another stab please do it let the modern generation have their own version of it and to top it off, I kind of like the Gyllenhaal casting. You know, he's, he's not your typical uh, mainstream Hollywood actor. He takes on a lot of bizarre parts that you really wouldn't want to take on where he looks. He, basically, he's dark. The guy's dark. You could tell by the things he takes. Roadhouse is kind of a very dark and weird movie. If you take out the real bravado Patrick Swayze element out of it. It's pretty fucked up, actually. Yeah. So I could see where you could just go darker, go weird, go Hall. I like it. I'm here for it. See, I like Hall a lot. That's why I think this is actually going to be really good because yeah. you got Lyman, who, you know, everything he touches is, for the most part, really good. Uh, and then Hall is a smart, like him, him and his sister make some of the smartest choices in Hollywood. But that being said, it has to be so different than the original because I don't think, you know, with, with, with all due respect to Jake Hall, I don't think he can have like a five second shot where it's just like just his face looking at someone and he's like, and so... Without that, what like that movie is like? A, but the real question is, can Gyllenhaal get, handle six seconds of plain bare ass? I think so. <laughs> 
and I some, think so. And, and some may argue this podcast would like to see it. Some are saying. Um, no, but not like, like I'm trying to think who else would be in this movie. It'd be kind of funny. Like, well, I did. I asked the question, who plays Jeff Healy? Who plays the new guy, you know, the house dude at the bar? Yeah. I was like, is it a DJ now? Is it something like that? My friend said it may be Jason Isbell, which I thought oh. that, that's a good, a good option for that. I'm wondering who the, you know, my, my brain automatically went to like, I wonder if they could get Ben Kingsley to come do an American accent to play like the town shit, like the shit town dude. Maybe, uh, no, Chris Pratt's too famous, but he'd be yeah. a good sheriff. Chris Pratt know. is we'll, who we'll needs to star that. in this thing, dude. No, 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 no. He's too, this is what I'm saying. He's too vanilla. That's where G- Hall is got the darkness of Dalton. Yeah, but you could get like like Pratt has like number one six seconds of bear, of bare ass of Pratt. Pratt goes to church once a week. He's not oh. ripping the throat out of another man. So you've been which is, like, which is necessary. That is my prerequisite for this film. Okay, if he doesn't rip the throat out of another person, or excuse me, if he doesn't rip the throat off of another man, then uh, then I'm not here for it anymore. <laughs> you know who I'd like to see this I actually see in this movie? Not Pratt, because I feel like that that could get too silly. Mm-mm. I want Newark, New Jersey's own. I want Michael Shaq? B. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I could see that. I could see that. He's he's got the body. Yeah, he's got fighting skills. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, as far as Lyman goes, oh boy, I got a good Doug Lyman story. If you got a couple minutes to spare here, so this guy. Uh, and I think that I've told you this. You know, I was uh, had the pleasure to meet this guy. Uh, awesome guy. So generous. So nice. Right. Um, but, and I, you know, I was asking advice on making your first movie because I'm currently in like the fundraising stage of that. Mm -hmm. Um, guy tells me to come up with a business plan and how he got the money for swingers. He just asked one of his, uh, dad's friends for, uh, who, who worked on wall street for the money. And I was like, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, cool. Like you got some family help. Well, I went back after this interaction and looked up who his like dad was and uh, apparently his dad was in like the doj they were like upper west siders and i'm like yeah i don't really have anybody in my life that i could just like more connects there. get a couple shekels so mm. not sure that's the best route for any indie film. yeah you really can't like you really shouldn't stress the nepotism angle to everyone <laughs> unless you know they they have the opportunity to even use it you know all right let's turn our attention to the hardwood shall we and let's start in Los Angeles. A lot of crazy stuff. We're, we're less than 20 games in, and, and already the NBA already feels like WWE. It's crazy. Anyway, let's turn our attention to Los Angeles. The Lakers got by the heat on Wednesday night. But for everyone that was watching, you saw some questionable decisions by Russell Westbrook, including uh, a game tied, 15 seconds to go. Rush just dribbles it out. Settles for a three, bricks it, we go to overtime. But the interesting thing about watching uh, the Lakers of late is how they are, uh, his, his teammates, you know, how when someone's on a dribble handoff, they tend to give it to the guy that's checking for him. Lakers have not been doing that, which leads me to believe that we have early chemistry issues 
if you're not giving it to a, a guy like Russ for him to go get his buckets and stuff like that. So the fear, I, I think, is that some of these guys are like, I'm not going to get the ball back if I give it to Russ because he's had to be like this for so long. Benny, do you think that there is a problem in Lakerland? And how on earth is Frank Vogel going to figure out this chemistry thing? I mean, it's kind of, as usual, it goes right back into the Russell Westbrook vortex. Yeah. You know, which is like, I, I'll say almost everything you said. Like, he did a, a bunch of things in last night's game that you would consider boneheaded. He leads the entire NBA in turnovers, 5.3 a game. He's only at a 15 PER. He's shooting 41 from the field, 28 from three-pointer, 65 from free throw. Like, I mean, objectively, you would look at this and just be like a terrible season. But then, can I ask you this one simple question? Yeah. Do the Lakers win last night without Russell Westbrook? See, that's the catch-22, isn't it? No. Yeah. Like, I really don't think they do. And, you know, even though, like, he had all these boneheaded plays through the course of the game, he was the motor of the game for the Lakers, which is, like, the reason they brought him on. So you don't have a Russell Westbrook problem. You have Russell Westbrook, right? Is this just how we should start considering this situation? Like, he's not going to change. This is what he does. It is sometimes beneficial, it is often not beneficial, but LeBron James is not playing. Taylor Horton Tucker is not playing. They even lost their white kid. That guy's out for a couple weeks. Like, like, you know, they're banged up. And the reason they brought this guy in was like, we need a fucking motor for 40 minutes a game in these like dog early days of like November and December when Braun needs some time off and AD needs to get spelled. I don't know. It might be playing out exactly the way they thought it could. And they're also, what, seven and four? Like, they're in the playoff mix, mostly without LeBron around. So, you know, if you just sat here and looked at stats all day, I would say there was, like, a huge Russell Westbrook problem. If you sit there and watch the games, you go, ah, I don't know. And And that, like I said at the beginning of this thought, just puts us squarely back into the Russell Westbrook matrix that we've all been living in for years. I feel like we've been having this same conversation on this show. Now we, this is like our like third season doing this basketball portion of the program yeah. together. And every year there, there's two conversations that we have, right? It's the, the what to make of Russell Westbrook in new situation. It's almost like when a sitcom doesn't know what to do, so they just keep like, oh, here's the wacky neighbor. Like, <laughs> right, what's yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other conversation that we have is Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis would, like, watch Giannis and Jokic and be like, hey, maybe I need to bring the ball up a little bit and not be the guy playing volleyball at the rim, I think they don't even need Westbrook, and then they still have Kuzma and Harrell and all of them that are doing big things down there in D.C. I, I think that team is a lot more interesting than the NBA Live 2005 All-Star crew that they put that they're putting out this year, um, yeah. But the the rest thing is is interesting. Well, to to go back to what you said about do they win that game last night without Russ? I think they don't win that game last night if Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson revert to their playoff selves. But that's a whole other conversation for a different time. Sure. All right, going coast to coast here to the 
East Coast, Big Apple, NYC, just across the Hudson from us. Uh, the New York Knicks have now dropped two straight games against Eastern Conference contenders, including a game on Wednesday that saw them down as much as 24 in the second half to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, New York's bench played the last quarter and a half to leave the orange and blue back to tie the game, but it wasn't enough. Benny, in this game, Tom Thibodeau sat his starters for the last quarter and a half. I, I just had to say that again because it's just it's crazy. We're not even 20 games in, and Tibbs mm-hmm. is doing this kind of stuff. What's going on with the Knicks, and is there a problem in the Big Apple? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know how much you want to define it a problem. Like, to me, this is market correction. You know, and I was saying it all last year, and I even said it this offseason as far as Julius Randle was concerned. I thought the Knicks overplayed what they are so much last season. I thought Julius Randle played to the maximum of what Julius Randle could possibly be. And I believe a few months ago I was fairly critical of the contract he got because of that. So, like, their defense made a major shift. I mean, that's a huge red flag. We got to be real about Kemba Walker now. Like, this just simply isn't the player he used to be. I mean, he's averaging 11 points a game. Um, you know, like, like it's not like he was some defensive juggernaut or some, uh, you know, Chris Paul-type floor general at any point. Like, his biggest attribute in the league was was getting hot, was getting buckets, you know, making things happen in the offensive end. And it doesn't look like he can do that anymore. Uh, Fournier showing his limitations in a lot of different ways. I was like, that's always been like a pretty name, you know, with a lot of expectations. It's, you know, got a shelf life. So I do think like, I I don't think last night was really, uh, you know, they didn't look good. Milwaukee was beating them. And that, that bench group was on, uh, what did I say? A 29 to seven run from the final minute of the third quarter to, to five minutes in the fourth so if you're a coach you just uh, you know you, yeah. you have every um every reason to ride that group you know so i i don't see that as some huge indication like all oh, the starters and the, you know we have all these chemistry problems but all the other things i said i do think are uh a bit of a red flag and i don't think they're as good as people thought they were yeah, it's interesting how teams, you would have thought that every team in the league that wanted to compete this year would have been like, all right, we need to be as strong of a defensive team as possible. I mean, look at the two teams that were in the finals. Strong, elite, defensive teams. Um, yeah. And the Knicks, I mean, you leave Grayson Allen open in the corner. <laughs> I mean, I listen, coming into this season, I did not think that that would be something that you would ha- have to worry about. But they left guys that they thought that they could leave open, open. And that's just lazy. That yeah. That says nothing about Grayson Allen or Pat Conton's ability to hit the shot. That is that is poor game planning. That's poor scheming, um, especially in, in in that corner in front of all of the celebrities and the Garden crowd getting getting rowdy. The Bucks shouldn't be able to just walk in the MSG and hit uh, seven threes after after they they tied the game up. So I do think that there is a defensive problem, and considering it's a Tom Thibodeau team, that's surprising. Yeah, well, obviously. Can we do one one other thing? Can I know yeah, before yeah, yeah. we leave New York here? Yeah. Oh, oh, you want to talk about that other team? I, we don't have to talk <laughs> about the win streak, and you know they're they're beating some some you know below average teams, teams they should beat. Not getting too hot about it. The boys are starting to look nice. Well, let's talk about one thing: the fact Mr. that Mr. Kevin Durant 
is averaging 30 points a game on 60% from the field. Crazy. What is happening with this guy? This is the best scorer ah, at this point maybe I've ever seen. It's just such a joy to watch this man do work, busting the analytics all up. Everyone says no mid-range game. Brooklyn leads the league in mid-range, and because of him, it's a high-percentage good-look shot. It's not for anyone else. Total unicorn. I'm, I'm infatuated with Kevin Durant right now. I've got a Nets trivia question for you, actually. Ooh, okay. Which current Brooklyn net is in the top 50 in blocks in the league? Which current Brooklyn net uh-huh. is in the top 50 in for blocks. blocks in the league? It's not Joe Harris. No. It's not Carter. It's not Mills. Is it Durant? No. It's got to be someone weird if you're bringing it up like this. Bruce Brown. I'm just going to say Bruce Brown. No. Ready for it? It's James Harden. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. I did see he was close to a block a game. It's crazy. It's crazy. So he may not be going for 61 anymore, but he's like in top 50 in blocks. What a You know what he's good at? He's, you know, as you know, he's not jumping through the air and swatting shots, but he's good at that little sneak around. Oh yeah, I'm, pull, I'm pulling it away from you as you go, which does count as a block instead of a steal. So I think that's where he got the bulk of them from. Oh, yeah, I certainly haven't seen any high flying ones. That's that's a fact. He's such a, a schemer. He knows like the little ways to get in like the box score. Oh, it's crazy. I love it. Oh, yeah. Benny. Well, we got we mentioned that this was the WWE NBA crossover edition segment here. Marvin Bagley III refused to check into Sacramento's game against the Phoenix Suns on Monday night after Coach Luke Walton asked him to do so. Walton, after the game, wouldn't specify what happened in the situation, opting to look at the future of the Kings instead. Smart move, heady play. Um, Bagley did not play against the Spurs on Wednesday. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the Bagley situation, it seems to be getting worse. Anytime you got a, a guy just sitting on the bench in uniform, just being like, nah, coach, I'm good. You know, there's a problem. So, uh, what do you make of ba- Bagley's antics here and where do the Kings go and what kind of agreement can be reached? Well, this is one of those topics that I quickly changed my mind on once I did a little research and so, you know, my first instinct is like, anyway, you know, I listened to the fan growing up. I got that old school sports thing inside of me. Like when I hear this and I hear about a guy who got benched, who's not getting any playing time, who gets a chance to have playing time, you know, your, your automatic thing is like, well, go get out there and earn your minutes back and show what you can do and add your trade value and blah, blah, blah. It is kind of true. Uh, but I do think we're dealing with a unique situation here. And this is why I think it's the King's fault as usual. <laughs> I think they botched this again. Oh yeah. And I don't know if it was the pressure of the fact that this pick was ahead of Luka Doncic, Trey young, and obviously like is forever going to be judged against that. It's one of those picks, but let me ask you this, like Marvin Bagley's rookie season, he plays 60 games 15 points a game, seven and a half boards, over 50% from the field, and makes an all-rookie team. Like, this isn't like, oh, this generational guy who came in. But if it wasn't in the context of, like, Luka Doncic, you'd be like, okay, 
maybe we have like a good pro on our hands, like a rotational player. And then I was like, oh, so it must have dropped off significantly last year. He had averaged 14 points a game on the same exact field goal percentage last year. And he's 6'11 and shot almost 35% from three point. Also with over seven boards a game. So this does like actually feel like gross mismanagement of a top prospect by the Kings and also one that you're about to let walk off his rookie contract and honestly just walk onto another team and someone else is going to get to try to develop them. So, you know, once I looked into the stats, Bagley does like, you know, the stats only tell so much. If you watch Kings game and you watch him play a lot, he's never looked great. He's never looked like an impact player. Who's really like, you know, defining the momentum of a game. But the idea that someone as young as him with his, you know, body and talent like can't get to another level is crazy and i think the kings botched it and i i don't know what's happening over there but it's it's their fault these things are are, are hard to break down who is exactly at fault because i'm sure that there's a little bit of both sides to go around what i can tell you is that the since he was drafted the kings have kind of uh been to a bit of a front office shakeup. you know guys have come gone and 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 it's been a it's been a rebuild, rebuild of the rebuild out there. So when the thing that I can imagine happening here and is that this order is coming from the top because they're one of the few organizations. Now, we brought up nepotism before. And God, I hope that makes a cut so I can make this reference. But uh, there, the, the owner's son is... Two things you don't want someone that makes a basketball decision to be. Reads Twitter a lot, so has seen all the Marvin Bagley slander, and also isn't a proper player personnel person. He's just the son of the owner and is very influential within the organization. So those two things make everyone's job a little bit harder. So to see what's happening here, I imagine based off of prior situations, that this isn't the fact that Luke Walton doesn't want to play him. I imagine there's been contract negotiations that have been going on that have stalled, and I imagine that this is all coming from the top of the Kings organization. Benny, we got more speculation. As if the last three things weren't speculation and grandiose-sized enough. Do you want some more? Do you want some more speculation? Yes, please. Let's go down to the Big Easy, shall we? Little, Mm -hmm. uh... And, and, and no, we're not going to get into, like, Streetcar. We're not going to get into Cincinnati Kid. This isn't that kind of gambling movie. But one NBA executive is gambling with his future. How do you like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> league-wide speculation has only increased about the job security of Pelicans Executive Vice President David Griffin. Uh, the rumblings got louder this week after uh, reports of a heated exchange between Griffin, Sacramento Kings associate head coach, and former Pelicans head coach Alvin Gentry. Now, Gentry is the coolest guy in the world. He's like probably one of the chillest people on any coaching staff in the league. But Gentry was upset about Griff's comments that he made about saying that I gave Gentry the answers to the test in, in regarding his New Orleans tenure, meaning that it should have been so easy. I gave you Zion. I, I gave you this great team to manage, and you kind of blew it. So Alvin was pissed about that. Griff, uh, ahead of the meeting uh, of the Pelicans and the Kings, went down to say hi, hi to Gentry, thinking that it would be cool. 
what if anyone's ever fired somebody why would you go out of your way to like say hi to the guy anyway the nba is is a whole different business yeah, yeah. um but gendry was also kind of pissed that he wasn't giving stan van gundy the same treatment a season ago uh the last six months have not been kind to david griffin but benny does griff have a way back in new orleans i don't think so i mean at this point uh i mean it feels like one of those like heads need to roll situation we've seen this before and in this case uh it's so clearly like not the coach's fault right now you know going into last season you know i think new orleans was commonly in people's like playoff or playoff bubble predictions right Mm -hmm. um going into this season they were in none this so it's really not uh, a product of Alvin Gentry. I mean, you literally, as we said last week, have Herb Jones playing thirty plus minutes a night. Like this isn't a team that can compete in the NBA right now, and that's not a coach's fault. Um, so because of that, and I think you know, it would seem to me that there's some uh, static let's call it between Griffin and like Zion's camp. And that doesn't seem like the most comfortable thing. And of course, New Orleans is going to, you know, put its chips in with a a generational talent rather than, um, you know, the GM who's kind of been botching things. So uh, all signs would lead to David Griffin being gone. I think. Now it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're going to have the trade deadline coming up. He's going to be trading for his job, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. But we're less than 20 games in, as we've said, a bunch. So, But you already get the sense that New Orleans is just one of those teams that you can write off. On Wednesday, they lost to a team that has made no bones about it that they're tanking in, o- in Oklahoma City. Um, oh, they're terrible. They're a terrible team. So it's, it's awful to watch. You kind of look toward... What they're going to do at the market, uh, at the trade deadline, because you imagine Ingram is going to be traded out of there, and this thing just goes total rebuild. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I mean, their differential is last in the league at 11 and a half games. Like, not good. Can can we finish basketball here with a little fun fun thing I never realized? Yeah, let's do it. Do you know Marvin Bagley's grandfather is the great Jumpin' Joe Caldwell also number two overall pick to the Detroit Pistons in 1964? How about that? How about that? Four-time All-Star, two-time All-Defensive, one-time All-NBA, one-time All-Rookie team. Joe Caldwell, grandpa of Marvin Bagley, a baller. It runs in the fifth. Also a number two overall pick. Wow. That's strange. Yeah. How about That's that? strange. It's crazy. You know, nepotism runs the world, especially in, in the NBA. But but NBA nepotism is not like money nepotism. It's like no, genetic no. and skill nepotism. Yeah, yeah. Like my <laughs> you know, Michael Jordan's kids didn't make it to the NBA. Like you can't you can't fake that, you know? Well, Benny, it is time yes. for America's favorite segment. What's that? The home of nepotism. <laughs> the NFL. Let's oh. get into our, our week 10 picks. 10 Welcome picks. back, Cam Newton. Oh, my Welcome goodness. Back. Welcome back. Uh, as, Can't as, wait to see his hat. As we record this, Cam Newton getting cozy down there in Carolina as they continue their search for a quarterback. Benny, last week. I bet he's got a storage space down there. 
filled oh, with hats. Oh. And like, and, like already, he's probably got <laughs> hundreds of designer hats just waiting for him down there. He's like, finally. <laughs> right next to his, his Heisman Trophy. Anyway, Benny in week nine went seven and six, though. As, as I was going through the thing, I was like, I think Benny may go like, you came real close to going nine and four. Nine and four, mm. 13? Yeah. I went five and eight. The wheels have fallen off. By the way, <laughs> oh, I did not tell you this before we got on the air. We got we got an e. Should I read? We got a strongly worded email regarding our gambling segment. We got oh, a strongly please. worded email. I right. want to hear it. Hold yeah. on, let me pull this up real quick. I'm ready. I can handle it. <laughs> Neil writes in, like, "Hey guys, uh, I specifically took Dallas last week based on your picks." I will be in vote voicing you both $50. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> At least it wasn't as bad as the, uh, as the Packers mess p- this past week. Good Lord, Jordan Love looked like trash, and Aaron Rodgers cost GB a game. An absolute net mess. Many thanks, Neil. So I feel like I feel like we're learning in real time. This is why these podcasts do like like a like a a disclaimer be like if you have a gambling thing called 1-800-GAMBLER like so we may need to start doing that because i don't want people losing their mortgage because they're listening to us listen just i mean at least cross reference with like somewhere else you know don't don't let this be the end all be all but take it from me should never trust a pundit if you have an instinct anyway yeah you know trust your instincts i got into trouble with this in the mercy union camp because Because Jerry would hit me up. He'd be like, who do you like in this game, in this game, for NBA, you know? Yeah. And even though my percentage is probably very high, yeah. he's going to take some L's, you know? <laughs> I, if I had a 100% gambling record, I'd probably gamble myself. Hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, take it for what it is. Didn't you say Chris Berman was, was under 500? That's everywhere? right. He, he, he was about career 500. Some years w- yeah. would be better than others. But as long as you make all of your money back, I feel like you're – in in good shape but yeah. yeah no this is listen we do this for fun i can be honest with you and tell you i'm not gambling my own money these are just picks these are just picks for me but it's about pride it's about pride and i'm embarrassed how i've been doing but also everyone's hurt in this league you cannot no. gamble on this league because i have like who would have thought that the Tennessee Titans would lose their MVP and then just go out and whoop the Rams. That makes zero sense to me. Anyway, anyway, didn't think so. I'm off of this high horse and I'm on to week 10 where we have a great matchups for you going down the list. All right. We have Jaguars, Colts, Colts minus 10 and a half. Benny, what do you like here? Uh, I can't, I, I can't go on the Jags. I think, uh, you know, that offense, look, even though they took a W last week, it's just, it just looks so scattered. I, I like the Colts to win big. Yeah, I don't know because last week I, I, I was on my nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills bullshit, and then we got a 9-6 win from the Jags. So who knows? My rule of thumb, protection, 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 cover that bad boy up. Give me Jags plus 10.5. I think it's going to be closer than the experts think. All right, Browns, Patriots, the Bill Belichick Bowl. Uh, Pats minus two and a half. Benny, what do you like? Mm, I mean, I, I struggle with this one because I, I like Cleveland to run the ball, and I think they will be able to effectively run the ball. Um, but I think the Pats have just enough 
on the other end to to cover this game by a few points. So I'm staying on the Patriots train. Yeah, that, that that's a pretty good train to stay on. I'm going to stay on it too because with Cleveland, you never know. Watch, this is going to be be the week they got OBJ out of the locker room and now they're just a Super Bowl contender again. Who who the hell knows? Possible. All right. Saints, Titans, Titans minus three. Benny, what do, what do you like here? I like the Saints to, to pull something funky this week. I, I think the Titans are like in such a, a sketchy part of their season trying to resurface and figure it out and – um, yeah, I like this. The Saints are a tough team to get behind, but I like them for a, a sneaky one this week. Saints bit me so hard last week. I'm going to try to go for the coverage here. Um, I think that it, it, it's going to be close. I'm done betting on on these big spreads. I'm done. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's killed me too much this year, so give me the Saints plus three, please. Like how I said, please, like I'm almost begging New Orleans to like help me out. Like, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> please, please help me. All right. Bucks, Washington football team. Look at me going to be a hypocrite in this game. Bucks minus nine and a half. Benny, what do you like? I like the Bucks to spank them. I don't think it's going to be close. Uh, only way they'll cover the spread is if we get to junk time real early, like third quarter early. I like the Bucks here. I've got to go with my coworker and homie in the break room, Tom Brady, Bucks minus nine and a half. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, we have a podcast that's on the network. Um, Bills, Jets. I'm not going to give it promotion because it doesn't need it. Um, Bills, Jets, Bills minus 12. Benny, what do you like? I mean, I kind of like the Jets. That, like, Considering the Bills' little rough patch and you know, the Jets at least – showing some moxie here and there a little running like I, I like the jets to at least cover this game certainly not to win oh you know i'm looking up at buffalo and i'm saying unbreak my heart tell me you love me again give me bills minus 12 <laughs> all right falcons cowboys two teams that just love to stick it up the you know where to me uh falcons uh plus nine and a half or aka cowboys minus nine and a half virtual pick them here if you go by what Vegas is taking, uh, Benny, what do you like? Hey, you take it so personally. Benny. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I don't know. Falcons got a little little something going right now, and I think they definitely have enough in the tank to to give the Cowboys a game. So I'm taking them with the spread. Yeah, give me the Falcons. Also, um, it's just too big. It's too big of, of of a number. You know, this is the time that Stephen A. loves because it's the time that the Cowboys fall apart in the season. So, yeah, give me that Falcons minus nine and a half, please. All right, moving on down the avenue. Lions, Steelers, Steelers minus eight and a half. Benny, what do you like? Yeah, I like the Steelers all the way. Lions give up like three sacks a game. Steelers love sacking people. Oh. I think it's going to be a sack lunch. Sack Ooh, lunch day. Sack so lunch with a side of Heinz ketchup. Nom, 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 nom. Steelers. <laughs> See, this is scary to me. This is my least favorite part of, of gambling because I don't trust the Steelers. I don't trust the Lions, and that number is huge. The NFL is so fucking crazy. Like, well, this is where you have to trust your belly now. My my belly wants like a like a like a like a Heinz sandwich here, which is, sounds gross, actually. You know what? Mike Tomlin sees him, baby. Steelers minus eight eight and a half. Let's get it. <laughs> You know, a few weeks ago, I was throwing out stats, and it didn't do me any good. So we're just yeah. out here <laughs> trusting my gut. That, and I think it's the accurate representation of gambling. So 
I'm just rocking with it. All right, Panthers and Cam Newton taking on Kyler Murray. A little uh, ghost of Christmas past versus ghost of Christmas future situation in this game. Cam versus Kyler. Cardinals, minus 10.5. Benny, what do you like? Uh, I like the Cardinals at home. Yeah. You know, I don't trust uh, Cam walking in and just and just owning the place. I mean, is he even going to play this week? Uh, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. But, no, I like the Cardinals to manage this at home and win pretty big. State Farm's looking for a new uh, <laughs> spokesperson. Uh, they got one playing at State Farm Stadium there in Glendale. Give me the Cardinals minus 10.5. Kyler Murray be a good State Farm yeah. guy. I'm into that. That's a it's terrible logic for gambling, but hey, here we hey. are. Yeah. Um. All right. Oh boy, Vikings Chargers. What a you know half of the NFL. I'm just saying it is in my bad graces because they've like fucked me this season. Um. <laughs> all right. Chargers minus three. Benny, what do you like here? I, I read that the Vikings have have lost five one score games this season. That's one of those creepy trends that I don't think they break, and it's it's a curse. The Vikings curse for this year. So because of that and because it's close to a pick I'm going Chargers. You know, no team have you given more of the, uh, I don't think they'll win, but they'll cover, than the Vikings this year. That has been your calling card. It's led to your success. <laughs> I got to go against it. I'm going to take these Chargers. Little Herbert Sunday, little Sherbert on the side for you. Um, all right. Keeping it in the 4 o'clock hour, 425 game, Seahawks, Packers. Packers fans hate the Seahawks ever since the Phil Mary and stuff like that, Um, which is like a regular season game. So it's like, get off it. You're title town. Anyway, Packers minus three and a half. Benny, what do you like here? I like the Packers, uh, you know, at home. Seahawks can't win at Lambeau. Haven't won there in in ages. And, uh, yeah, I don't think considering what's going on over there, they they got enough to bring to bring to the icy tundra of Kurds. So uh, yeah, I like I like the Packers in this one. I hate the point five numbers. I made no bones about it. But you know what? Give me a little little uh, discount. Double check. Even though I think he's still in COVID protocol, Packers minus three and a half, please. Uh, give me some cheese. Oh, give I me said that oh, all of that cheese. Uh, Eagles. Broncos, Broncos minus two and a half. Benny, what do you like here? Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough, you know, this is where I have a hard time always betting for the Eagles, you know, because of my long-standing hatred. But I think we saw a little bit of a fluke from the Broncos last week, and I kind of like the Eagles to uh, to come back. Give me, the, give me the dirty, dirty Eagles. Give me the Eagles as well, you know, and beads hurt. Philly's down bad. It's getting colder. It's supposed to be in the 50s. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But, you know, the Eagles need this. The Broncos are a, a, a team that has uh, notoriously for, for me this season been a – when when I, I take them to, like, excel, they just blow up in my face. So give me the Eagles, a trusted quantity in my gambling this season. <laughs> I don't know even, even what that means. Uh, Chiefs Raiders. Chiefs minus two and a half. Benny, what do you like? I'm still riding this the anti Raiders train, uh, and I think I don't know. I'm just a sucker for Patrick Mahomes. I keep waiting for this big bounce back week, and I'm going to keep betting on it. <laughs> so, but I do think the Chiefs have enough to win this game. I'm going Chiefs. Listen, their stadium is is a discount airline. The Chiefs are going to get in, 
get their quick discount, r- run the tables. They're going to squeak by uh, by winning by more than two and a half. So give me the Chiefs minus two and a half here. Yeah, Mahomes, he's not impressive, Vegas. He's no. been there. Yeah. But so, well, well, Mahomes hasn't been impressive, period. But I digress. You go to Vegas to spark your luck. How many entertainers, Benny, have gone to Vegas and revitalized their career? That happens to Patrick Mahomes this week. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you want to say revitalize, but, you know, eating at the uh, $7.99 buffet, you know, watered-down drinks. Oh, man. makeup, you know. Vegas. Vegas, baby. Speaking speaking of Doug Lyman, uh, Rams at 49ers. Rams minus three, bringing it back to L.A., one of the best road trips in the country. Uh, L.A. to Vegas, going back. Vegas to L.A., Rams minus three. Benny, what do you like? You know what I love? What do you love? I, lo- I love that there's like five defensive players in the league that anyone can name. Yeah. And three <laughs> of them are on the Rams now. Um <laughs> I, I don't know. I like what they're doing in L.A. This is Von Miller's debut. Uh, San Francisco gives up the ball a lot. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm staying on my Rams boat. Let's let's take the Rams all the way. I will also love to uh, charter a room on your Rams boat as well. I'd love to stay there. It seems pretty cozy this time of year. Uh, stay- You're always welcome, Danny. I got a silk <laughs> robe waiting for you. <laughs> Staying out there in El Segundo, just parked next to the Ball family. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So give me the Rams there. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. If you if if we've screwed you out of your children's child fund, please email the Tuna Podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Uh, if you want to get catch all of our content, we're at the Tuna HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Like, subscribe, review to the podcast wherever you get your podcast subscribe to the youtube channel you know the deal if you want to follow big man he's at benny horowitz one number one in your mind number one in your heart number one on twitter i'm at danny underscore gallagher benny you got anything else yeah neil you know better okay don't gamble money you need kid and i'm trademarking it huevos bancheros everybody that's mine that's mine in perpetuity The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.